me invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue our series in Christ. And we're looking uh, at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. This morning, I'd like to ask you to consider for a moment before we turn to that passage, we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. I'd like to ask you this question, what is the current reality in your life? Uh, What words, perhaps, would you use to describe where you are this morning? And I don't mean Kirkwood, okay, for all of you that are like me that are emotionally closed off. We got to open up a little bit this morning. Uh, Think of words that would describe your emotions and how you're feeling. Uh, I was tempted to give you a little piece of paper and jot them down, but just get at least one or two words in your mind that would uh, describe how you're feeling. Could be a lot of different words. I I came up with some that I was thinking of this week. The first one uh, was the word uncertainty. Uh, And just, you know, kind of wondering uh, some things that uh, seem to be some loose ends, so to speak, in my life. And there always seem to be a few loose ends in my life. There always seem to be some things that are, that are somewhat unsettled. And so I think a, a fair word for me this morning, maybe for you, would be uncertainty, uh, which can lead me to being fearful as well. And so that's the other thought I have. Uh, there, there's uh, our, our good friend from Home Alone, uh, way, way back, I don't know, 20-something years ago when that movie came out. But uh, when you aren't quite sure of details or circumstances, when you feel like you're, you're out of control perhaps, and you, you, know, you, you can't really kind of mold everything the way you think it ought to be, sometimes perhaps uh, it leads you to being fearful. But I, I will say that I'm also, uh, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I long for uh, the reality of my salvation to be true in my own life. And so I'm, I'm not without hope. So it's kind of a, a bit of, of here and there. Right? We, have, we have feelings perhaps that are, that are somewhat more along the, along the nervous side, the fearful side, but also the hopeful side. And I, and I think that's the beauty of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus that he realizes both sides of that coin. He realizes the joy of his salvation. He also realizes the challenges that are right in front of him. And so Paul, I think, uh, part of what he's doing, he's asking us a, a question this morning, which is this, is being in Christ making any difference in our lives when it comes to how we look at our reality? is the fact that I am a disciple of Jesus, that as Paul says all throughout the, the letter to the, the church in Ephesus, we are in Christ, we are in him, we are, we are in the beloved. I hope you're reading Ephesians. I hope you, you took my, my advice and my encouragement a few weeks ago to start reading and continue reading this letter because it is so full and rich. But if you have been doing that, even if you've read it just a couple of times, you've seen that phrase over and over again. The question is, is there a practical reality to that? Does it make a difference in your life, in my life, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, to be in Christ? That's the question uh, that we want to consider this morning when we think about our inheritance in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, hear the word of God. Paul says, in him, that being in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us, that you would speak to us. Father, we thank you that you've already taught us uh, through song, through worship, through Michael's message of ministry uh, and hope that you would open our hearts and our minds to our reality. Father, I, I'm not sure what the words were that were, that were floating through people's minds, but I'm, I'm quite certain that, uh, like me, there was some thought of challenge, uh, some thought perhaps of discouragement, of difficulty. Well, Father, hopefully there's also uh, some sense of being in Christ that brings a foundation to our lives, uh, that, that gives us a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of life. But we lose our way sometimes, Father. We are distracted by the challenges uh, that present themselves to us each and every day. So, Lord, I pray that we would have an eternal perspective this morning as we look at this passage and we think about the reason we can have hope today is because of the inheritance that is to come. So, Lord, we, we lay our hearts and our minds before you. We ask that we, you would teach us that we would listen to your spirit and to your word. Lord, not to my words or man's ideas, uh, but to your eternal truth. Uh, Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So where we're headed this morning, obviously, is in the notion of inheritance and what is awaiting us uh, as believers in Jesus. So the sermon of sentences, God's promise of a sure and certain future creates the opportunity for a steadfast hope today. Uh, the opportunity is there. It doesn't mean I always take advantage of it. Uh, you may have opportunities. I may have opportunities. You may have an opportunity for education. Uh, you may have an opportunity to uh, admit you were wrong. Uh, you may have an opportunity to forgive someone. You may have an opportunity to go play around a golf, probably not today unless you like to play in the rain. But you don't always take advantage of whatever opportunity may come your way. And so it isn't a given that Christians are filled with hope. Sometimes we're filled with despair. Sometimes we're filled with more questions than we feel like we have answers. And so this passage brings us back to center. And it reminds us not only what's true in our lives today, but what will be true in our lives forever. So let's look at our hope in Christ through our inheritance and with four observations in this text. And the first one is just that our hope that, that's in Christ is because our inheritance is in Christ. In verse 11, Paul writes, in him, that being Jesus, we have obtained and inheritance. And then later on at the, at the end of the passage, so it's kind of bookended with this notion uh, that talking about the Holy Spirit, who is what? The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Inheritance is a promised future. It's a blessing that, that's legally binding today, uh, even though it awaits some future moment where it will be put into full force. Uh, Cindy and I have a will. We, we have written down uh, who gets what. And our kids every once in a while will call and say, well, make sure I get this or make sure I get that. And we say, it's so nice to talk to you. Thank you for being concerned about us. Uh, and we'll see what we can do about that. But that's, that will is binding. In fact, we were talking recently, say, you know, we probably need to update it. We probably need to, to stay on top of that. Why? Because we want to make sure that we pass on that inheritance. That's a future blessing for our children. And God says there's a future blessing. In Christ, you have already obtained the inheritance. It's yours. And we lose sight of that sometimes. Sometimes I forget that in Christ, that inheritance is already mine. I don't feel the full effect of it today. That is in the future. But sometimes I think thoughts like, you know, boy, I hope I don't lose my salvation. Boy, boy I wonder if God's really, really 
really paying attention to me and, and, and is heaven really uh, there waiting for me? And I, and I lose sight of the fact that this inheritance is already obtained. It's already guaranteed. I think it's important that we also note this notion of inheritance that it's established through the relationship that God has given us. So if you go back to earlier verses in chapter 1 and verse 3 and verse 5, we read the following. This is a, I've condensed it a bit, these two verses. But Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, what does that include? The blessings include that in love he predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus. He's brought us into the family. If you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, you could say, I'm a servant of Jesus, and that that wouldn't be untrue. You do serve the Lord. But a truer statement is, I am a child of God through the Lord Jesus. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. Uh, I belong to him. We, We sang just a few minutes ago, Lord, I belong to you, but we don't belong to him in the sense of servitude. We belong to him in the sense of he is gladly and joyfully the plan all along. He predestined this before the foundation of the world that we would be in the family. And we're in the family, not because we're good. Just to make sure that we're clear on that. I, I, y'all look real nice this morning. You're all cleaned up. You're smiling. You're sitting there politely pretending to listen to me. But none of that gets you into heaven. Spending money, our money to support the Micah Project does not put us in good standing with God. Doing a bunch of good work does not gain our inheritance. Our inheritance comes to us because God has chosen to adopt us and we receive that adoption by faith. Look at verse 13 in this passage. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, and what? And believed in him. When you hear the good news and you believe in him, this is a relationship that is established by faith. God says to you, I've loved you from all of eternity past. God says, I'm going to love you for all of eternity future. God says, the way I've expressed that love and am expressing that love is through the gift of my son who died on the cross for your sins, for your behalf. And your salvation is secure in him. In order to receive that adoption, in order to be part of the family, you simply need to believe, but believe you must. It comes to us through faith. And it is a secure with, it is secured with a down payment. Look at verses 13 and 14. In him and Jesus, when you also heard, right, the gospel, you believed and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life, the Holy Spirit's presence in my life is a guarantee of the fuller blessing to come. Now, we're not going to get into great detail this morning about the Holy Spirit, but let me just uh, perhaps remind you or, or maybe tell you for the first time that the reason that you've put your faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, if I'm a Christian this morning, the reason we are people of faith is because God sent his spirit to make our heart alive. We'll get to that in chapter two in just a few weeks. When we look at the condition of humanity apart from Christ, and then we look at what God has done through Christ, and and Paul says very clearly that God has made us alive. The reason that that, that the lights come on, that I have that aha moment and say, I want to put my faith in Jesus, is because the Holy Spirit has entered my heart and my mind. The Spirit of God enables me to to come to him, to come to Christ in faith. Therefore, that, that knowledge that, that I, I belong to him, 
is a gift that's given to me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the guarantee I have. When I, when I start to doubt, when I start to wander, when I start to, to feel that perhaps I'm drifting away, I need to remember, no, 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 the Spirit of God is in my life. He's holding on to me. So a couple of verses that, that we'll look at later on, just as far as the Spirit is concerned. In chapter 2, verse 2, in Him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Then later on in in chapter 3, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The spirit is a guarantee. It's it's wonderful, I think, to really pause here for a second and, and realize that the Father wants to ensure that we know we're secure in Christ. That the Father isn't sitting in heaven going, boy, I hope they got it figured out. Uh, I hope they know I love them, but, but boy, it's going to take a lot, of, a lot of work on their part to get there. No, the Father is actively wanting us to know about that inheritance, and so he ensures that we are aware of what he's doing by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, about a year and a half ago, Cindy's mom was visiting us from Colorado Springs, and uh, we were just sitting around, and we'd, we'd had dinner, and the table had been cleared, and we were kind of relaxing and not doing too much, and she pulls out this small notebook, and she says, I want to talk to you guys about uh, your inheritance. Okay. <laughs> When's that going to kick in? Just out of curiosity. No, I'm just teasing. But she opened up her book, and she laid out in her format kind of all the things that she'd been saving over her life, and all the, and she just wanted us to be aware. We're like, Mom, are you okay? Are you feeling well? She's great. She says, just, I just wanted you to know. That's what our Heavenly Father says to us this morning. I want you to know. I want you to understand you have an inheritance. That's part of the reason why your hope is in Christ. But secondly, we need to understand not only that our hope is in Christ because of an, an inheritance, but our hope is in Him because of His intentionality to redeem. Look at the plan that we have here. In Him, we have obtained that inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There, there are three words in verse 11 that we're going to look at. The first one is this notion of being predestined, that, that God has planned all along to redeem us, that it isn't something that, that, that is a whim that, that crossed his mind uh, a couple years before Jesus came to earth, that our sin is not something that caught God off guard, that, 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 our, that our rebellion and our brokenness in our relationship with him was not something that, that was a surprise to him. The Father knew before he created us that we were going to fall, that we were going to reject him. Think about that for a moment. God created us knowing that we were going to become rebels, knowing that we were going to turn our backs on him and knowing that the only way to bring us back into right relationship with him was through the gift of his son. And in the council of eternity, the father and the son and the spirit all agreed that that was worth the price. It was worth the effort to redeem lost sinners like you and like me. As one theologian said, my salvation is neither by chance nor by my choice. Now, yes, ultimately, when you hear the word, you respond in faith. We've already said that. But what the, that theologian is saying is that long before I put my faith in Christ, God determined that he was going to save me. He has a plan for salvation. There's a second word in this verse that's important. In him we are, have obtained, having uh, inherited, having been predestined. Can we go to the next slide? Thanks. Having been predestined according to the purpose 
of him who works all things according to his counsel. So we've talked about the fact that God has a plan, but also God has, has an aim in this plan. He, he, is, he is intending something very uh, clear, and it, it is his purpose. Uh, in other words, it's his good pleasure is the way one translation defines this passage. In other words, God has a desire to save. God is not saving because he's forced into it because he's, he's got to do it because he's God. And that's kind of the thing that God does. And he goes into it grudgingly, uh, not really wanting to save you, but knowing that if he's going to be kind, he has to. No, it's God's passion to be redeemer. It's God's desire to save a people to himself. God's aim is to do exactly what he wants to do, what he desires to do. If you told me today that I had to go out to Chesterfield Airport and get on a private plane and meet my two sons and fly to Augusta, Georgia and play the golf course at Augusta National where they play the Masters every year and you said you have to do that today, I would say, oh, shoot, doggone it. Okay, I guess I will. No, I would be jumping up and down. I would be doing cartwheels. I'm, I'm almost six years old and I would attempt the cartwheel because I'd be doing exactly what I wanted to do. If you said to me, Tom, next weekend we've got somebody else preaching and we just wanted to make sure you and Cindy got away for a romantic weekend, so we're flying you over to Paris, have a great time, enjoy, we'll, we'll see you next Monday. I wouldn't say, well, if I gotta go, okay, if you really insist that I do that, I'd, I'd try another cartwheel. I'd go the other direction with another cartwheel because you'd be telling me to do exactly what I want to do. Do you understand that God's plan of salvation is exactly what he wanted to do? Not grudgingly, but with a passion, with a desire that was going to see it through to the end. God had a plan, but not a plan in which he entered into with hesitation or with reluctance, but, but his very aim, the, his good pleasure, the thing he, he enjoys doing the most, so to speak, is bringing lost sinners to salvation. But it's one thing to have a plan. It's another thing to have a passion if you can't get it done. And that's why this last word in this sentence is important. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. His resolve, the power that stands behind the design that sees it through to the end. When we were uh, considering buying this property about five years ago, uh, Kevin Voss, who's a member of Green Tree, Kevin and Pam are members, they've moved to Wisconsin, uh, but Kevin was helping us with it. He's in the real estate business, and we got into the details of the deal. And, and I do not like details. Uh, in fact, I was talking to myself in the mirror yesterday and I was asking myself this question, why don't you like details? I, I just don't like details. And Kevin said to me, Tom, the details are absolutely the most important thing and you gotta get it right. And so in order to get it right, I want you to call so-and-so. He's, he's an attorney that handles all of, all of my real estate deals. He's the best one in St. Louis. And I said, well, well d does he give like a church discount? Because <laughs> if he's the best in St. Louis, he's not cheap. He said, he's absolutely not cheap, but, but hire him because he'll get it done. He, he knows more than anybody else. He's done more than anybody else. When, when people see his name on the other side of the conversation, it draws it to a conclusion pretty quickly because people don't want to mess with him. There's a power there that happened to come from his years and years of experience. There's a power in the heart of God that will not suffer defeat. What God sets out to accomplish, he accomplishes. And that includes his grace 
and his mercy to us. I love this verse because it shows the plan and the aim and the will of God all on my benefit. A lost sinner like Tom Ricks, God did all of that in order that I could experience grace, in order that you could experience grace. It's great reason to hope in him this morning because of his intentionality. But thirdly, we hope in him because of the unity that God creates among us. I want you to notice in this passage that, that the Trinity is mentioned uh, very clearly if, if we stop to look for it. And Paul does this, not only in Ephesians, Paul does this in, in pretty much every, every letter he writes. If you look for it, you will see it. It'll, it'll begin to actually jump off, jump off the page at you. And this uh, letter to the Ephesians is no different. Paul always is talking about the Godhead and the unity of the Godhead. And so he says in this passage, in him we have obtained an inheritance, that's being in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's the Father. The Father is the one who is, who is initiating, who's working all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to, first to hope in Christ, there's the Son, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul does that for several reasons. One is because he's a good theologian, and he wants us to, to, to think the right way about Scripture. He wants us to understand that we are in relationship with God, who is, who is manifested in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there's another reason for that. The other reason for that is a very practical reason in our day and age. It's because a byproduct of our salvation should be unity within the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to see when we get down to, to chapter 4, which won't come till after Christmas and into the new year, but we're going to see in chapter 4 that one of the main concerns Paul has when he starts to talk about the application of everything he's been teaching up to that point is the unity of the body in Christ. And we see it right here in Paul's progression of thought in chapter 1. In him, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. Who's the we about which Paul's speaking in verse 11? He's talking about the, the, the people of Israel. He's talking about the Jewish people. He's saying that we were the first, I, I didn't give you the entire verse, but we were the first to put our hope in Christ. And Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. That's very clear if you read the Gospels. But he goes on to say, and in him you were sealed when you believed for your salvation. So he uses the second person. So we have us and we have you guys. But notice how he ends the passage. Talks about the Holy Spirit who is what? A guarantee of our salvation. He brings it all together. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ, the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. And let me be more specific. The unity of Green Tree Community Church ought to reflect the glory of the unity of the Godhead. That only happens when we are a humble and a gracious and a thankful people. We cannot think about ourselves first and be a church that longs for unity. I can't always insist on my way and claim that I have unity as one of my chief goals. One of the things I love about the elders of this church is that they long for that unity and they, and they want to work even harder towards it. In fact, if you're a member of Green Tree, 
If you're not a member of Green Tree, if you're just a regular attender, uh, this will be a reason for you to become a member. We have divided up the congregation into geographical groups, and the elders have taken on what we call shepherding groups. And hopefully by now you've maybe gotten an email, uh, you've been reached out to, we've put this in place uh, over the summer, and we're now beginning to execute it. If you haven't yet heard, and you are a member, you'll be hearing from your elder. Why are we doing that? Why are we breaking the bigger church down into smaller segments? Because we long for the unity of the body of Christ. And one of the ways we do that is we get to know one another and we do life together and we care for one another. How often do we hear of the church's dividing and splitting of, of infighting? In fact, I've, I've used a funny story in the past and I'm going I'm to bring it out of mothballs this morning to, uh, to use it again to, to make the point in a humorous way. Uh, this is a story about a pastor and a choir director who were not getting along with one another. Story goes like this. It seems the first hint of trouble came when the pastor preached on dedicating yourselves to service and the choir director chose to sing, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Trying to believe it was a coincidence, the pastor put the incident behind him. The next Sunday, preaching on giving. Afterwards, the director led to him, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> if some of you were looking at me when you came in this morning and I was laughing over here and there was nobody sitting around me, it was because I was looking at our order of worship, which is this little piece of paper I carry with me. And the last song this morning is Jesus paid it all. Though, I don't know, maybe the worship team's trying to tell me something. By this time, the pastor was losing his temper. Sunday morning, attendance swelled at the tension being built between the two. Everybody's come out for a good accident. A large crowd showed up the next week to hear a sermon on the sin of gossiping. The choir director's closing hymn was, I love to tell the story. <laughs> Following Sunday, the pastor told the congregation, unless something changed, he was considering resignation. The choir director led the congregation in, why not tonight? <laughs> Truthfully, no one was surprised when the pastor resigned a week later, explaining that Jesus had led him there and that Jesus was leading him away. The choir director could not resist we in the congregation saying, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> that's humorous. But it speaks to, uh, to a sin that can be in each one of our lives. It's a sin of thinking that, that we're most important. It's the sin of demanding that we have it our way instead of passionately desiring the unity that God displays in the Trinity. We have hope for salvation because of the unity of the Godhead. And our lives, day in and day out, need to reflect that unity here at Green Tree Community Church and in our families and our relationships with other believers. One other observation in this text. Fourthly, our hope is in him not just because of our inheritance and in his intentionality and the unity that he brings to the church, but our hope is in him because of the focus that he brings. So I asked the question at, at the outset, what, uh, what are some of, uh, uh, of the words? What's your reality Today And so I want to go back to that and visit that for just a second. There are some, some words that I, that I thought of. The first one was, was hopeful, and there's our, our fellow with the fingers crossed, or maybe, maybe fearful, and then there's simply uncertainty, and that's, that's my hockey team. There's just no, no telling. In fact, they, a fearful, hopeful, uncertain, that could apply to the Blues. I could have just put that emblem up, and, and we could have moved on. But that may be how we're feeling this morning. Maybe we're feeling a little bit of that, and maybe even more, maybe discouragement. Maybe deep anxiety. Uh, perhaps you're in a moment of great joy and thankfulness because of what God has done for you. But the question remains, is, is my reality based on my focus of my temporal circumstances or my focus on my God? 
Is there perhaps a deeper reality than, than just what I experience on a day-to-day basis? Not saying that those emotions aren't important. Not saying that th- those emotions, emotions aren't real and honest and, and need to be dealt with in a, in a caring and a loving way. But is there a stronger fundamental truth that, that is the bedrock, so to speak, that is the foundation as I go through life? And I think that's where we come to this question of God's glory. And much like Paul bookended his words with the notion of inheritance, he also bookends them with this notion so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, speaking about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul says here, our salvation from first to last, hoping in Christ looking forward to taking possession of our inheritance with Christ in heaven forever. And everything in between results in the praise of God's glory. Christians celebrate. Disciples of Jesus are joyful, not because their lives are simple or their lives are void of challenges. But we celebrate and we give glory to God because of the complete assurance we have of our eternal inheritance. One of the reasons you're here to worship this morning, whether you've stopped to think about it or not, one of the reasons I'm here to worship this morning is because we know that heaven awaits. We know that what we see this morning is just a glimpse of that which is to come. We know there's going to come a day when we'll be gathered with people from every language and tribe and nation under the sun throughout all of history to celebrate the glories of our God. The chief glory of which is is not just who God is, but what he has done in redeeming us through the person of God of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage us this morning to ask the question, where is my focus? And again, I'm not saying we should just go through life and say, well, it's it's tough, so we're going to suck it up and not worry about it. I, I really don't want a congregation that is emotionally closed off. That does us no good. We face real problems. We have real challenges in our life. There is real pain and struggle. Let's not pretend, let's not whitewash and, and pretend like Christianity means everything's just simple and okay. But let's remember that even in the context of that struggle, that our focus is on Christ. Think about for just a moment, Paul and his circumstances as he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. There's several things you could say about the Apostle Paul in this moment in his life. One of the things you could say was he had enormous success as a church planter all around Asia Minor. And if you're not sure Asia Minor is, get a Bible and go back and you can get the the very last map in every Bible is this uh, map of Paul's missionary journeys. And you can see uh, where those are. But he had great success. Literally thousands of people had come to Christ because of Paul's teaching. But you could also realize and recognize, if you read the book of Acts, for example, that Paul had enemies in every city where he ended up. Paul was harassed at every turn. People were trying to kill Paul because of his faith. And he had this ongoing, constant burden and concern for these infant churches. Would they survive? Will they make it? Uh, you all know I have the opportunity to work in church planting around the country for our denomination. And, and sometimes I lie awake at night after talking to one of our church planters and going, I, I don't know if he's going to make it or not. And that's not, you know, that, I'm not feeling sorry for myself, but that's a, that's a heavy burden because we want them to be successful. We want the gospel to go forward in their ministry. Not only all of those concerns, but, but Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are called the prison epistles because Paul was in prison when he wrote those. But you know what supersedes all of that? Paul was in Christ. And that was his foundation. And he knew his inheritance was sure. 
So being in Christ does not mean less of a struggle. It doesn't mean there's no fear. It doesn't mean that our life is easy. I'll put a picture on the screen to end with. I love this picture. I, I love this little girl. I don't know who she is. I, I found it online. Um, she's in a storm, right? It's pouring down rain. I'm pretty sure her mom or dad is about to open the back door and yell at her to come inside. She has a whole different perspective, right? She has peace in the storm. She has joy in the storm. She's looking at it from the, from the vantage point of knowing that she is secure. Where's our focus this morning? Is it in him? Does being in Christ make a difference in our lives? Hopefully our inheritance in him, our understanding of his intentionality to save the unity that he creates within us will allow us to have a focus that doesn't take our eyes on off him, but allows those promises to see us through to the end. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word of inheritance this morning. I thank you for the plan that you put in place in eternity past. That you had this little congregation in Kirkwood in mind. You had street kids in Honduras in mind. You had generation after generation of people all over the globe in mind when you determined that you would save. Father, you know that at times we are easily distracted, sometimes for good reasons, uh, and other times uh, we just lose track. Uh, we just lose our focus. Thank you, Father, that we can come to verses like this in Ephesians and be reminded of your good work in our lives, that we would give you praise, that we would give you glory, but that our lives would also have a sure and steadfast foundation, knowing that you are our Redeemer today and forever. We praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.